Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? Beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week, it's the second half of my live MK3D show, which happens every month at the BFI South Bank. Last week, we heard from Professor Christopher Frayling about his new book about Once Upon a Time in the West, and Jessica Hines introduced her guilty pleasure, Zoolander 2. On this podcast, we'll be hearing from Sasha Pollack, whose new film Dirty God opens in the UK on June 7th, and documentary filmmaker Jeannie Findlay talks about her two new films, Seahorse and Game of Thrones The Last Watch, going behind the scenes of Game of Thrones. And with Doctor Strangelove back in UK cinemas and the Stanley Kubrick exhibition still packing in the punters at the Design Museum in Kensington, we've got a little bit of full metal jacket to finish the show. All that coming up on this week's edition of Kermode on Film. Is it on? Is it me, or are you getting more enthusiastic? <laughs> and, and I have to say, I, I live for walking on stage to the sound of applause, so thank you very much. Um, it, it, we have a really, really packed show today, uh, so we'll, we'll move sort of fairly swiftly through things. Just start by saying, cans on. <laughs> and that is all we're going to say on the subject. Um, you know, usually we do this thing about tweeted questions, and I, somebody said to me, you know, maybe you should just stop doing that and just do any questions. And I kind of wrestled with it for a long time, um, in the same way that I wrestled with Neil Young, and then I finally got to it. So look, rather than doing tweeted questions, anyone got anything they want to ask at all within reason? If you have, stick your hand up. I can't, I can't actually see anything. That's, that's the problem with this. You see, literally, I don't know whether anyone's got their hand up, okay? So the tweeted thing, I can read it out. This is never going to work. We should have figured that out in advance. Okay, so, oh, you have. There we go. Hi. Hello. Uh, Look, do me a favour, okay? This is like an experiment, and everything <laughs> is set for it to go wrong, so be kind, all right? Um, is Keanu Reeves' uh, late career renaissance as an action movie star the most surprising late career renaissance by an actor, in your opinion? Ladies and gentlemen, that is a brilliant question. <laughs> and you, sir, are not a plant, are you? That was, that's great. Okay, that's, that's the standard of the bar. Do I think that Keanu Reeves' late career 
Renan. See, I, I don't think Kanani Nunu ever was, he, you know, it's like he didn't need a Kananessence. He was, I'm a huge Keanu Reeves fan, with, with certain exceptions. I do think that his remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, or as I called it at the time, The Day My Face Stood Still, was <laughs> terrible. And there are certain things in which he is, when he's bad, he's spectacularly bad. But I feel the same way about him that I do about Richard Gere, is that I can always watch him. And when he's good, he's brilliant. I mean, the Bill and Ted movies are absolutely brilliant. The, uh, have you seen John Wick 3? Yeah. yeah. So John Wick 3 is great, not least because it's physical acting. And this is something that gets really underrated. If you do a film in which you do speeches and, you know, holding forth and pontificating, you win awards. If you dance or fight or do, you know, physical stuff or slapstick comedy, it's much harder to win awards. Um, and I, I, I told this story on, on the radio, but I'll, I'll tell it again because it's worth it. When, when Keanu Reeves made the... the Devil's Advocate with Taylor Hackford. I did an on-stage interview with him and Taylor Hackford and Charlie's Thron, as it turns out, is pronounced. And so you think it's a, it's a film critics thing. Charlie's Thron, Keanu Reeves, and the person I'm interested in is Taylor Hackford, right? Because he directed An Officer and a Gentleman, which is one of my favourite films of all time. Plus, he's a brilliant director. But as we were waiting to go in, um, Keanu was talking to Charlize about this thing that he had been doing. And it was The Matrix, but because I didn't know what The Matrix was at the time. All I know was one minute I was standing next to him and the next minute he had his foot up above his head on the wall, okay, going just like this, you know, and Charlize throne was going, wow. And I was thinking, Jesus, what have I got myself into? <laughs> And he's absolutely brilliant in Point Break. And I think Point Break is, is a, you know, is a fantastic film. And so, so I don't, you know, I don't think the, the, the reconnaissance thing is a surprise. Plus, I am really looking forward to Bill and Ted 3. Because Bill and Ted 1 and 2 are both absolute genius. And that little the bit, when it, if you heard the interview that he did with Simon Mayer when he was talking about it, he was so delighted to be talking about it. So I think it's going to be great. And the plot is that the song that Wild Stallions are meant to have written that's going to realign the spheres, they still haven't written it. And they're like in their mid-40s or something. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fab. It's going to be fab. Okay, that was great. Should we, should we, should we push our luck and do one more? Where? I can't see a thing. At the front. Where at the front? Hello. Right there, a little bit with knobs on... The, sorry, hello. Hi. We have to sort this lighting issue if I'm going to be looking at things. because I can't see a thing. Torch. Torch is a good idea. Hello. 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 Uh, so, of all the exciting 20-year anniversaries that are coming up this year, because 1999 was such an amazing year for films... Which ones are you looking forward to? You know, to? it hadn't even occurred to me. Is, that, is there a whole load of 20th anniversaries? Well, we've had some of them already. We've had The Matrix and I think The Ring already. And the original Ring the or original the remake ring. of The Ring? It's 20 years old. Yep. When Nick How and I, scary is When that? Nick and I were first working together, one of the very first things we made together was, after The Fear of God, was we, that was in 98, was we did a series of introductions for Film 4 and we did an introduction to The Ring, right? which has gone down in infamy because I, in the... Sorry if anyone hasn't seen it. I said in the beginning of the, the E-Ring introduction, I said, this film is so great. And the minute when she crawls out of the television... <laughs> before the film, right? So actually, this is the 20th anniversary of the second worst thing I ever did on television. The first worst thing being when it was when I co-presented 
Channel 4 goes to Glastonbury. Was that around about the same time? It was around about the same time. And, uh, and I did that with Katie Pockrick. And um, there was Mark, it was Mark Radcliffe and Mark Riley and Katie Pockrick and me. And Katie Pockrick was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, fabulous. Like, you know, they just went go and she'd be like, bam, you're on like a light bulb. And I literally looked like Lurch from the Adams family. <laughs> And I was so awkward and so out of place. And it went on for the whole weekend. And the bouncier Katie got, the more I start. I die. It's like literally watching somebody physically dying on screen. So 20th anniversary of my worst ever television thing. Thanks for bringing that up. It's been great. <laughs> OK, so actually that worked quite well. It could have gone worse. OK, so I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone now. Um, Last night, uh, on television, which I believe is a popular medium, and then tonight on television here, it's the final episode of Game of Thrones, okay? Yeah, now, I have never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones, not because I have anything, just because I don't watch any television, because I spend my time watching films. Uh, however, uh, even I am aware that Game of Thrones is a really big deal. And... Um, there's a documentary which has been made about making Game of Thrones, which is directed by Jeannie Finley. Now, if you're a regular here at MK3D, you'll know that Jeannie came on to take a talk about her brilliant film, Orion, The Man Who Would Be King, which was a film about... Uh, and Elvis impersonator doesn't really sort of fully explain uh, what he was. So uh, Jeannie spent two years working on a Game of Thrones documentary completely under the radar because there's such secrecy surrounding uh, surrounding Game of Thrones. So anyway, because the last episode is going to... This is the Game of Thrones poster. That is Jeannie. There. Um, we're going to show you the trailer for the documentary about Game of Thrones. The last episode goes out tonight, and well, some of you may have seen it last night, and then the documentary goes out uh, in a week's time. So this is a trailer for Game of Thrones, The Last Watch. This is strange. Here we are at the last table read. It's like looking around and seeing your family. It's our biggest season ever. Every episode has as much in it as one feature film. It's like Oh my God, what was I thinking? Winter's coming, yeah. I can't even begin to imagine how this is going to look on TV. Here we go. Been doing night shoots. I'm broken. I could not have worked harder. I really have given this everything I have. It's such a magical place. It's hard to say goodbye to everybody. That was Amelia's last shot on Game of Thrones. This is a dream job for a director. This show saved my life. It's hard to fathom that I'll never be coming back. Best thing I've ever done. Please welcome to the stage the director of The Last Watch, Jeannie Findlay. <laughs> Jeannie, welcome to the show. So um, you have a couple of films that we're going to talk about, but let's start with, with Game of Thrones. And as I said, I, I, I know nothing except for the fact that I have friends in Belfast, so I'm there a lot, and so I know it's been going on, you know, so I know... Do you know nothing Jon Snow? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me in... I don't get that joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I literally don't get that joke. I know. Okay. What, okay, get me up to speed in brief. Well, it's these 
There's lots of yeah, yeah, dragons. Yeah, yeah no spoilers, obviously. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to spoil it because I'm no, no. going to go and see the fin- after this. Yes, you're going back. To- my editor Alice, my composer Hannah Peart, we're all going back to the hotel. They're here watch. in the. They're here in in the audience. Hello, thank you for coming. Um, and we're going to go and watch the finale because obviously I've seen it being filmed. But you haven't actually. And I've seen read it. all the scripts, but I haven't seen the final episode. And my daughter's an extra in this episode. She's oh, wow. a wildling, so I want to see my 15-year-old daughter. It was like, yeah, it's quite good. So did you did you really work for one two however long it was without without people knowing that you would This was such a secret. Even the existence of the film was a secret. So I filmed for 14 months. I sort of got a mysterious email from this guy I'd met of who used to work at the Irish Film Board right. and said, HBO, we're going to call, take the call. <laughs> so I got this phone call the next day and I Googled them <laughs> and I knew it was Game of Thrones. And I knew that winter was coming and who Jon Snow was, but I wasn't like the biggest Game of Thrones person, really. So I took the call and just sort of said how I would approach making a film. And then and they said, oh, you won't hear anything. And then three weeks later, I got a call saying, can you come to Los Angeles next week and meet the showrunners and the executive producers? So I was like, OK. And, and I was like watching the Battle of the Bastards on the run mill, um, you know, running, treadmill, trying to, and then going past the Hollywood sign and being in Los Angeles, pitching the film. And I just sort of said, look, I make observational films about shy people. Can I find some small and heartfelt stories within the largest television show in the world? You know, so many people have got so much invested in this. What happens when it's over? So, and they just gave me enormous trust. I, I got the gig, obviously. Yeah. But like three weeks later, they just said, they, they didn't say, do you want it? They just said, welcome to the family. And two weeks... That sounds really culty. It was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then two weeks later, I was on a recce in a very windy quarry in Northern Ireland, following the producers and the execs and the directors and the DPs looking at how they make the show. And, you know, I'm a documentary person. So actually being, you know, I've been on some fiction sets. My sister's a costume designer, um, but she works in, like, comedy. And so being on... There's 2,000 crew members on Game of Thrones. Wow. You know, and it was... I think it was four months before the cast showed up. So it's just massive. And they've got dragons and ice lakes and a castle. And it's not just a small castle. It's a massive castle. And it's 360 degrees. So wherever you put the camera, it looks good. And the costumes are acid etched. And, you know, the, the level of detail is absolutely extraordinary. So did you, did you fall in love with it while doing the... Completely. Completely, because it's the, just the scale of it is so amazing, which makes it terrifying as a job to do. But they're very, you know, this was season eight, so people had done it for a few years, <laughs> 10 years. and the 10 years? 10 years. Wow. And, you know, most of the cast were unknown when it started. And the, the producer, Chris Newman, said he's very philosophical but he sort of said you must never be intimidated by the feast you can only eat the meal in front of you so that's what we did just day by day and it was extraordinary the thing that occurs to me is that 
I've spoken to you since you were doing this, and you didn't let on at all. I've not told anyone. I mean, I'm based in Nottingham at Broadway Cinema. We end... <laughs> Woo! Uh, we... Hello, Cleveland. <laughs> we NDA'd up everyone who... NDA, non-disclosure agreement. Non-disclosure agreement. Three guys from HBO came over from New York. They got the road dug up. They put in a special secure line. We, we cut on... Um, we use code names and we cut on really? um, encrypted material. So we use code names. What were you like? Ultra. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was that exciting. Well, we have to use code names for all the actors because oh, this sounds because like such there's fun. spoilers. Okay. And also, so you have every to say, the hawk is flying they all had, through. I'm not the... sure whether we're allowed to, to say. You can't even real, say that. The real name. Are you going to have to kill me after we've done this interview? You know what? It, it's so surreal to actually be outside talking about this because I'm so like I'm so relieved that the finale went out last night because it means that if there are any spoilers it didn't come from me okay fine 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 yeah because that's been so you were worried that you might be just be in a pub again you never guess terrifying. who dies but even the existence I don't of the know film, who dies I've never seen it just so you know <laughs> maybe nobody dies I don't know maybe they all make it to the end <laughs> like Avengers <laughs> Um, yeah. It was all quite... It was scary, but then it was sort of amazing because there's a really well-established um, behind-the-scenes team that shoot everything. So I knew that I wasn't ever going to show you how a dragon's made, but I could show you how someone's heartbroken when it's over okay. or what it means to be the snowman. So one of the people... I, so I follow eight people... So it's sort of like being an embedded observational documentary maker. So I'm telling parallel stories to the unfurling fantasy world of Westeros. You've brought a clip that no one... Never heard of Westeros. You've, you've brought a clip that no one has seen, right? Yeah. OK. I can set it up if you like. Yes, please, because so, I can't. <laughs> so this clip is of a stuntman called Vladimir, who you'll have already met because he makes previs. They choreograph all the stunts... Yeah. And did you know stuntmen like pile up cardboard boxes in a pyramid and jump into them? I have seen stuntmen it's, jumping into cardboard boxes. It's yet. wild. Yeah. As soon as I saw the stuntman, I was like, I need a stuntman. <laughs> so I started following the stuntmen and just watching what they were doing. And then I met Vlad. I was like, Vlad's going to be in my film. The mask completely changed you. You were stepping in the makeup trailer, joking, you know, and happy. And step by step, you're coming be in the dark side. Rauri, he called me and he asked me if I would like to be Night King. And I don't heard Night King, I heard just King. And I said, I can be any king, you know, don't worry. I think he's angry. He don't want to be Night King. The children of Forest, they changed him. And now he's okay. You want me to be Night King? Okay, now I kill you. It's so weird seeing it. It's great. Like, I, no one's seen anything of anything. But I mean, even knowing nothing about the, the series, that looks, I mean, that looks like a really interesting documentary. Well, he's, he's the biggest 
baddest villain in Game of Thrones, but actually he's the most adorable Czechoslovakian stuntman. Everyone loves Flash. That's always the case. It's like Gunnar Hansen, who was Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You'd leave your kids with him. He's a lovely, lovely guy, you know. <laughs> so, Jeannie, all the time that this was going on, you were also working on Seahorse, yes. which is uh, an extraordinary documentary which is going to premiere. So that... <clears throat> The, the Game of Thrones doc is, is playing next week. It's going out in the Game of Thrones slot, slot in 180 week. countries worldwide. I think you'll get a few viewers. I um, think, okay. yeah, <laughs> a few. So, but, so you made this uh, documentary, Seahorse, which is playing at the Sheffield Doc Yeah, Fest. we just premiered at Tribeca a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I did like a mini North American tour. Tribeca Hot Dogs, and then our European premiere is at Sheffield Documentary Festival. Can we show the trailer for it? Because I think Absolutely, the trailer sets yeah. it up really okay. When I took the first vial of testosterone, quite quickly I was being read as male all the time. It's not about more male because more valid, it's just this is me. He just said, I'm a boy and I want to be a boy, and I did think, oh my God, that means I won't have grandchildren from Freddie. I've always wanted to have kids one day. Not only women feel broody. I'm going to have my own baby and I will be the dad. I love being pregnant. Everyone should experience it, shouldn't they? Especially men. So I've only ever said yes to two people when making a film. One of them was Game of Thrones and one of them was Freddie McConnell. So um, uh, Freddie's a journalist who works at The Guardian. My friend Charlie Phillips runs the documentary department there and he said, oh, I really want you to meet Freddie. He wants someone to tell his story. So many stories about um, transgender people are made about them, not with them. He said he wanted to make a different kind of film. Yeah. He was going to have a baby and um, he wanted me to follow the whole journey. So um, I agreed and I filmed for three years uh, on and off. Like doing Game of Thrones at the same time. You know, it's yeah. a busy time. Um, <laughs> and um, it's been... Well, they're both films have been incredibly tough emotionally, physically, um, but it's been like showing it at Tribeca and just seeing the audience reaction was extraordinary. Like I cry in films, but yeah. with that I was broken. Oh, Jeannie, I thought it was really moving and, um, and I didn't know this particular story before. Firstly, I think, as always is the case, you handle it very sensitively. And actually, I think that was the thing that, that defined your work with Orion, even before that with uh, Hip Hop Hoax, is that you, you say that thing about making with the subjects rather than mm. making uh, about the subjects. But I thought it was, I mean, it's a really emotional journey. And at the beginning of the film, you're not, you, I didn't know how the, uh, you know, exactly how the story played out, mm -hmm. but you do do that thing about leading the audience through it. What was the most difficult thing about doing it? <laughs> I mean, Freddie would say this, but uh, making a film is hard. And um, when I work with Alice, we have cards on the wall, so for different parts of the, of the edit. And one of them just says, making a film is awful. <laughs> um, because Freddie initiated the project and wanted to tell his story. And as soon as he stopped testosterone, you know, testosterone is the answer to gender dysphoria. Right. And it's the thing that makes Freddie feel like himself. And as soon as he stopped taking it in order to... Uh, for his fertility to remain, for, to return, um, he just felt terrible and he'd forgotten what that felt like. So there was some points where I would drive for five hours for Freddie to just say, I don't want to film at all. 
I don't want to speak to you, I don't want to do this. And so I would just wait around and pretend that I was running, you know, I run, I run half marathons, I just pretended I was running the hardest half marathon of my life, and I waited around. This is a film about me having a baby, but what I feel like I'm going through isn't me having a baby or pregnancy, it's like total loss of myself. As a trans man, to carry your own child is a scary, daunting prospect. You just worry for your child, that you want them to be happy. I just want to close my eyes and be on the other side of this. Oh. Well done, Freddie. Well done. Oh, God. Did, um, did Freddie have any say in the edit, or did you make the film and then show it to him? I made the film and then showed it to him. And what did he think? It was extraordinary, actually. It was... Oh, God, I feel, like, choked up even thinking about it. It was so emotionally overwhelming. So we showed him the rough cut, probably, like... The final film's 89, yeah. and he probably saw a 96. And he said, I had no idea what this was going to look like. But now I can't imagine it any other way. It was amazing. And, you know, it's not a spoiler because there's a baby there, but filming the birth was un unreal. Yeah. Unbelievable sort of thing to do. That's, I mean, that, I have to say, that sequence had me in floods of tears. I mean... I didn't edit it without crying. Alice, who's here, knows that as soon as we started editing, I just could not. So I had to leave the room. I'd like give instruction and then leave yeah. and then come back. And then when I've just been doing screenings, <laughs> I keep watching the birth over and over again because you come in yeah. to do the Q&A. But it's a lot. So Seahorse and Game of Thrones doc pretty much <laughs> happening, interlocking simultaneously. Yes. OK, you are a total star, Jeannie. And <laughs> Thank a, you. very few people could have pulled that together. So Game of Thrones doc goes out in the Game of Thrones slot on Monday. Yes. Seahorse, that you had a sneak preview at the beginning of there, um, <laughs> plays at the Docfest and then will open here at some point. Sheffield Documentary Festival, then we're going to the new Irish Film Festival in Belfast, yeah. that's the week after, and then a million other festivals. Including Shetland. Including Shetland. Including Shetland, thanks for bringing Shetland, it up, the Shetland Film Festival. Um, and then we're going to do a, a, a little theatrical, and then it's a BBC film, so it'll go to BBC Two. As I said before, you know, when you when you made it, Ryan, congratulations. You really are an exceptional filmmaker. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm thrilled that you you played us that, that sneak preview and that I was the only person in the room who had no idea who these people were. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jeannie Findlay. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There was a... There was a brilliant thing, well rescued on that incidentally. I, I was in Cambridge doing this thing with uh, Todd Solons, turns out not Todd Solons, Todd Solons. And uh, he's a filmmaker in residence, he's been there at uh, Trinity College last week. And he said something really interesting. You know, that one of the things with this show is, you know, every now and then things get out, we, we, we kind of, we work around them. And somebody said to Todd Solons, there's a, there's a famous story about, you know, you learn from your mistakes. What have you learned from your mistakes? He said, it's true, you learn from your mistakes, but you learn a lot more from your successes. <laughs> So, uh, we're going to show you now a trailer for a film which is going to open here on June the 7th, and it is a really impressive and uh, striking piece of work. It's called Dirty God. Here is the trailer. Plastic surgery go wrong for you, love. Well, this is clinic online that can fix my face. You don't know what you put me through, because all you ever think about is James. I was still in hospital and my mum brought Ray to see me for the first time and she comes in, she goes, monster. My mum, she's like, it's a nice monster, Ray. I'm damned. We ain't damned. And what happened to you? It ain't got nothing to do with God, you know. Opens here June 7th. It is really brilliant. Please welcome to the stage the director of Dirty God, Sasha Pollock. Sasha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, it's, it's a really powerful film, and uh, at the centre of it is a performance by, uh, I think, a, a screen first-timer. Tell us how you found uh, Vicky. Well, my first idea was I, I really wanted to make this film with uh, a burn survivor. Um, so Lucy Party, who's my casting director, who also was the casting director for... Uh, all Andrea Arnold films, uh, so who was really good at street casting. I asked her, find me a girl who, yeah, who has scars and who uh, is the right, right age and things like that. Um, so we went through all, uh, yeah, burn survivors, and and we found Vicky uh, quite early in the process. Um, but Vicky didn't want anything to do with us because she was um, she did a TV program and they didn't tell her the title of it. Uh, they said that they would make a documentary about her and how it's uh, how, yeah how it is to live with scars. Uh, but the title was too ugly for love, uh, so um, it completely. Yeah. That was si seriously the title. Yeah, that was seriously the title. Yeah, it was really awful. Um, so that completely humiliated her and was like she never wanted to do anything uh, with TV or film. So it took us about a year to convince her to, yeah, to talk to me. <laughs> How did you know she can act? Because she acts with the confidence of someone who's 
you know, I mean, she, I, she, I thought she was astonishing. Yeah, she's really good. Um, no, uh, I didn't know, but you never know. And and I really like to work with, with, with first-time actors. And it was a really, really long process. She needed to trust me. I'm from the Netherlands. So uh, all of a sudden, this Dutch woman comes to your house, and I met her family, and, and yeah, she didn't know what to think of me. Um, so it was a long process where first we went uh, together, we did a lot of dancing lessons because she needed to dance in the film, um, and I thought it would open her up, and then uh, I taught her how to swim because she couldn't swim. So we went swimming every Sunday, and then the whole auditioning process was all around her because she was sort of the, in the center of it, and she auditioned with everyone who ever auditioned for this film. Um, but she's really good. So I, I couldn't, yeah, this was what I hoped that it would, would become, but I didn't know. Now, am I right in thinking it's your first English language feature, your previous feature, obviously, was this is your first uh, fully English language feature, yes? Yeah. Is there a particular challenge? In, I mean, like everybody else from Europe, you speak perfect English, and it's only the British who go, oh, you can speak more than one language. How amazing. <laughs> you know, two languages in one hand. No one can live at that speed. <laughs> Was it a different thing for you, directing in, in English? Um, yeah. Uh, well, the process is different, because here everybody's really concerned with health and safety. So... <laughs> sorry. That's not the case everywhere else? No, not like this. Like we had a health and safety inspector who would, was with this with this foreman would stand next to me in every location. He had to check, and he was like, "No, it's not safe." <laughs> and I was really like, "What? I really want to shoot here." Um, so that was strange uh, for me. And then you have like you have to have trailers for actors in the Netherlands. You, we don't have trailers for actors. We don't you have tents. No, we I like people just sit around with each other, and and so we don't have the money to have trailers. And here, I thought it was ridiculous because, like, there was a whole trailer park half an hour from the set. So the actors they came in in the morning, they put their bags in the trailer in the morning, and at night they took them out. That was <laughs> how much time they spent in the trailer, and, and yeah, it's all money that doesn't go to the film. Okay, okay. so that's different. Okay, but in terms of the positive experiences. Oh, sorry. Of working here, I wonder, you know, what 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 was better? No, I mean, you could say that it's it's, <laughs> it's much more here at the British <laughs> Film Institute. <laughs> it's 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 uh, no, it's much more professional. You could say, like, uh, no, it was a really good experience, and and uh, our crew was a mixture of all sorts of countries, and 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 it was really really good. No, it was. A, I I would love to shoot here again. So, and in terms of the the the, the as you said, I mean. I hate that phrase, non-professional actor, because once somebody has made a film like this, they are clearly a professional actor. They just might not have done it before. And, I mean, I was really... Because it's a, it's a very, very challenging performance. I mean, it's, it's a, the film is very brave in the areas that it goes into. I don't want to give anything away about it, but it's, you know, it's, it's a fully rounded uh, character. And there were, there were things that you're asking Vicky to do mm. that, that, you know, that some actors would flinch away from, that involving sexuality and, and that sort of stuff. How was your relationship with her on set like that? Did she, was it just that she trusted you? It took... I mean, Vicky hit her body for f 
for like 15 years, she would wear long, long sleeves in summer just to hide her, her, her scars. And I asked her to be naked in, in front of a camera. And, and that's not something that you, you ask her on the first day you meet each other, of course. So that was a very, very long process. Um, but in the end, she was really happy to do it. Yeah. For me, it was really because she she didn't want to see the film until it was completely finished, and wow. then uh, she did the nothing at all until it was uh, yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I finished it, and then we we rented out a cinema here in London, and we asked her and her family and and some other actors to come and see the film, and that was like my most terrifying. Uh, moment of, of showing this film because I didn't know how her family would react to something like this. I thought, well, they probably only have seen Hollywood films and things like that, and this is different. Uh, but they really loved it, and 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 she was really proud of of how she looked, and and the process of filming her scars. Also, there are shots in the film that that I filmed her scars really up close. Mm -hmm. And she didn't understand it at the moment, and she sometimes got really angry at me, like, "What are you doing?" Or, or uh, but after seeing it, she, yeah, she said, like, "Now I can see it's a work of art, and it looks beautiful." Yeah, I mean, I, I just think she's a brilliant actor. I think she, she I think she's a really, really great actor. Mm -hmm. um, what did she say to you after she'd seen? You said you saw it the first time. And you said your, your, you know, heart was in your mouth. What did, what was the first thing she said to you at the end of the screening? I Were think tears? no, you know she was. Yeah, I don't know if if, if there were tears. She was really. But she said like, "I look, I look hot." I think like that. <laughs> so that was sort of mostly what I remember that she was really proud of herself. Yeah, yeah. And then. Uh, and you must be very proud of the film because it's it's not an easy uh, subject to deal with, and I think you've done it brilliantly. I do. You feel that it's it's accomplished what you set out to accomplish. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm really, really, really excited what's going to do here. It's been released in the Netherlands already, and it's doing really well. So, so that's people are watching it. That's always. Uh, Have you seen it with a, with a public screening with an audience? Yeah, of course. I mean, it was first. It was the opening film in in the Rotterdam Film Festival, IFFR, and then we went to Sundance. Sundance. So, how uh, was Sundance? Yeah, it's amazing. It was uh, that was really a dream. And, and you went in because some directors won't go into the room when their films are playing. You went in and watched it play. I always watch it like those. Th those were the last. The last time I saw it was in Sundance, and I haven't seen it afterwards. So okay. uh, um, no, but I think always you have to see it with the, at the premiere. Then then, yeah. Okay, so it opens on the seventh. Do, does it matter to you what critics think of it? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it's very vulnerable. Uh, I spent so much time in it and years working on this film. And, and uh, um, it's not necessarily what critics think or what it like every opinion stands alone on itself. But 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 I I really need to sort of deal with that. People say I don't like your film because it always feels really like I've worked for, I don't know, five, five, six, seven years on it. Uh, and you just tell me, I, I don't like it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't really deal with I, that. I didn't tell you that. No, no, no. I just, just to be clear, no, but, but I love it. I think it's fabulous. <laughs> no, so yeah, for me, that is important. But it's all, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're a critic or just uh, a lawyer or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's all the same. I, I yeah. Okay. <laughs> what are you doing now? Have you got? Is the next project on the go? Uh, I would really love to do another film with Vicky. Uh, yeah. So that's something uh, I'm I'm thinking of uh, right now. I'm writing it right now, and uh, uh, so that's something. But more of more of her own story. 
um, to do something with that, yeah. Well, I really hope that happens. Um, uh, I know there was a message sent to her saying that you were coming on tonight and we were trying to find out if she was around. I know she's abroad at the moment, but, yeah. I, you know, if you do something together, would you come back and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I think, it's, I think it's a really striking film. I mean, it really moved me profoundly, but I also thought it was really brave and I, it's got a very sensual feel to it, which I thought was terrific. So Thank congratulations. You. Opens on the 7th, called Dirty God. Title is explained during one key conversation that we won't give away. Uh, congratulations. Please thank the brilliant Sash Bollock. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, um, we're going to bring things to a close. Uh, last, uh, last month, we were going to finish with this clip. We always finish on Sound and Vision, and I forgot because I'm 58 or however old it is and my brain is failing me. But there's a bunch of Stanley Kubrick stuff going on still. Doctor Strangelove has just been uh, reissued by uh, the BFI. The South Bank season is coming to a close. The exhibition is still going on at the Design Museum. Nick and I did a podcast in which I walked around the Design Museum going round the Kubrick exhibition. My favourite Kubrick sequence is the surfing bird sequence from Full Metal Jacket. Here it is in all its surfing madness. Surfing. Thanks for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. If you like the sound of the MK3D show and you'd like to come along, just go to the BFI website online. But bear in mind, they do sell out pretty quickly. I hope to see you at one of the live shows in the near future. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 